Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm excited, super excited. I've wanted to interview Eric. He hasn't said no and just finally said yes. He just, I just haven't ever asked because I feel I'm really, um, this is an area of growth that I'm really excited about and it's about scaling your business. So today we have Eric Regan and it's a long E people. Um, I'm not saying it wrong. He wrote it with like 18 E's when he was explaining how to say his name. So um, I'm excited, so excited to have you, Eric. Thank you. It's really good to be here. Well, probably nobody had explained that it was 18 E's in your name sounding. Well, that's a, that's the first time I might have to keep it too. Like if I go to get a, if I go out to dinner and they ask for a name, I might just have to say it like that. Regan, can you spell that? Right. And just if you're new, um, this is, we do it live every week. So you can always hit chat on the bottom and you can talk to everybody. Just make sure your two says to all panelists and attendees. That way everybody can talk at the same time. We got a bunch of people coming from all over. Feel free in the chat to tell us where you're coming in from. So we kind of talk about that. We always go a little early and then I hit record. So we're recording. We're ready. So Eric, you um, started this business with a uh, guy who wasn't even really your friend yet. I mean, he's right. your friend now. So you were a worship leader at a church. You were yeah. doing flash websites, um, which was cutting edge then. Um, and you, uh, he had posted something like on Craigslist or something that he needed some uh, designer developer people. Yeah. And you answered the call and y'all go to dinner and he just says, hey, well, we should just join up. Like, I guess you guys had a good conversation, clearly, and you didn't seem scary. So he said, yeah. I mean, that that seems kind of like, like, let's get married. We just met, sort of, though, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was completely unexpected um, because he and I both had, but we would consider yeah. our, our part-time, like, freelance design or development work. And uh, I saw something online, like you said. Uh, he was looking for Flash help. I did Flash stuff. We were both in the same city. So I hit him up and uh, he said, hey, let's just get together. Maybe we can meet at like an Applebee's and just talk about this, pro this one project that I have in mind or that I need help with. So we get together. Uh, we talk about the projects. We talk a little bit about uh, how, what, we're, what we're just doing as young creatives, I guess, and having a full-time job but having this part-time thing and Maybe one day it's the full-time thing. Um, and so I'm just thinking, all right, this conversation is going well. I'm going to get a project out of this and just keep building on that. And then at the end, he's like, so what do you think about just like being business partners? And that was, that's like the, that was the best start that I could have asked for in recognizing the contrast in personalities between Bill and myself because I'm the total opposite. And so it, at this point, I do consider it him basically proposing on the first date. It was just so unexpected uh, and funny to look back on. But you clearly, it didn't scare you away. Um, no, no. So, but how do you answer that? You're like, whoa, buddy. Like it does sort of feel like a, a really, uh, you, it must've been a great first date, right? Yeah, I will, I'll say it's, at this point, I feel like, I, you know, when you tell a story long enough, you kind of lose sight of what what part of this is the story that's fun and what part of this is reality. So mm. I'm, this is 10 years ago. So at this point, I, I'm almost on the 
sense of like how much of this is really how it went down and how much of it is the fun story to tell. Um, but I, I don't think I really had much of a reaction other than I'm a pretty reserved person. So I feel like my reaction was pretty reserved and I just said, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll think about that. I don't know. Um, because you hadn't really even worked together at this point. You just no. had similar ideas about maybe what you wanted to do. Had you talked in this conversation or through emails about what you wanted as a business or Not in the slightest because neither of us even knew for ourselves yet. We were just trying to do freelancing on the side with the idea that maybe it could be the career one day. Uh, he was working in a vacation rental office, helping book vacations, and take photos of properties. And they learned that he had graphic design skill and, and, uh, um, uh, schooling and so he started to manage their website and it kind of evolved into freelancing for him uh, and for me it was kind of on the programming side of, of freelancing and um, we, we were just kind of seeing what was possible we had no idea what kind of business we wanted to run I, at the time I probably wouldn't have even said I want to own a business someday um, so it, it there was no uh, scenario where we both recognized we had the same vision for something um, it was like, a well, let's work together for a while and not just on a project. Uh, because over the course of that conversation, we, we at least learned enough about each other to see the similarities in how we thought uh, about approaching problems. So um, it was our naivety that led to it. Well, and you also had two different skill sets that worked together yeah. really well. So then... Yeah. But was there any in that conversation or right after that conversation before you said yes or was there the, you know, how, uh, how was it going to work? Was it going to be, you know, we're going to go all in. Um, I know sometimes people, one person goes full time with it and the other person's still doing their full time job and they're doing it as a side. Um, yeah. was there something like that or were you both like, Hey, let's just do a company and we're both going to work sides for hopefully. And then we're just hoping it goes well. Yeah, now for us, um, we were so far away from even being able to quit our jobs, both of us, um, that, that that never even crossed our minds at the time. It was what we considered it as co-freelancing. So he still had a side job, I still had a side job, and we happened to do those side jobs together. Um, so it, it, in our minds, it wasn't like we had formed a, a legit business. Um, he, I was working under my name. He was working under... Um, a DBA a doing business as kind of a company name. And so we just kind of went with his. And so we, we technically mentioned ourselves, talked about ourselves as this company, uh, which was not called focus lab yet. And we, um, in our internally kind of between each other called it co-freelancing. And it took years, uh, it took a few years before either of us were really ready to quit a day job. So, and so you're taking on jobs thinking, I hope Bill has enough time to do this portion of this project or are you before you take yeah. a job you're hey I've got this can you schedule this out because a lot of times with web you're it's not like you can just whip it out in an afternoon right yeah it, it, it was it was more of a let's I mean we weren't busting at the seams of from from a leads perspective so when something happened to come in because we didn't know a lick about sales um, it was mostly referral based so when a referral would come in a friend of a happy client basically we would just say, all right, we have a new project, let's do it. It wasn't a, do we have the time or not? It was a, we're gonna say yes, and then we're gonna make it happen somehow. 
Um, and at this point in my life, I actually had three jobs. So um, it was not um, always the easiest thing. Uh, right, shortly after I met him, though, I did whittle that down to two jobs, which was good. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was more of a let's say yes and then make time for it because we at least knew that we wanted to see if we could grow into something. And right. to see if we were going to be able to do that, we were going to have to take on work that might might have, have us wondering how we were going to make it happen. Right. So you're, you have this, both of you have a, a commitment. Clearly neither of you have a commitment issue because he doesn't, because he's ready to go for that first date. But, uh, so, but it's a understanding because that's, I think one of the scariest parts is that one partner might be more committed than another partner, which normally you would know because you know them or you've worked with them, but you didn't. So there had to be a, some faith just jumping in of trusting this guy. But I guess you weren't just jumping all in. You weren't quitting your three jobs to do this exactly. thing. So you yeah, had that time to build that faith. Yeah. There was a, the mentality was, was, there was a lot of, um, what do I have to lose? Uh, in it because I had neither of us had built up this you know highly successful freelancing career we were both still early into that and so it almost seemed like worst case scenario I just keep freelancing on my own um, I'm not gonna um, have to replace a job that I left to make this possible uh, so it was there was just not a lot not a lot of uh, risk early on so were you taking jobs that if Bill couldn't do it you could still do it yeah, we were doing that. Um, that was a lot of what it was early on. Um, we, when we, before we met, we both would have said that we can design and build websites. And when we met each other, we realized I cannot design websites and he cannot build websites. Neither of us should have been <laughs> doing those things. But together, he can design them and I can build them and it's a lot better for everybody. Um, so um, over time, that actually led to certain projects being just design oriented um, and certain projects being just development oriented. So um, sometimes we'd have a, a client come in that Bill never even really talked to. Um, so, and that's, that's happened um, in kind of a seasonal way. Uh, it happened in the first number of years. All right. So, so you do finally quit your, all your jobs and he quits yeah. all his jobs and you come together. So what timeline? So this was 10 years ago when you first had the, first date, let's get married meeting. Yeah. And then how long was the courtship before you literally took the plunge? Yeah. So we, we worked together for about a year and a half before we realized, you know what, this could be a thing. Like we can actually make this happen. Let's, let's try to get even more work so that it can pay our bills and we can quit our day jobs. Um, so we set out on that path. And then um, my wife and I, um, we, um, uh, we, our daughter was born 12 weeks early around this same time frame. So I'm working, like you mentioned, I was working on staff at a church. Um, I was worship leading, but not at this church. I was actually a web developer on staff and um, fantastic uh, benefits. And when I had uh, a premature baby 12 weeks early, it's like, uh, Bill, I'm not going to be able to quit my job anytime soon because I got other things to worry about now. Um, so, Essentially, he continued on the path he was on to try and replace his income, and he so he crossed that line a little before I did, around August time frame, and then the next year in April, I, I kind of caught up to that, to where I was able to quit my job, and we were both full-time, and that's when we actually changed the name to Focus Lab. Um, so the timeline from when we met to when we both quit our jobs was about three and a half years, roughly, 
Um, and that was about seven and a half years ago. So you were doing, so you were juggling a lot. So how, how was that? Cause I, there's a picture of you and I think maybe either you showed this at creative South or I've seen it on the internet. It's like you and I think your daughter on your lap, you know, you're just busy coding away oh, and yeah. you look like a teenage parent, I think, you know, cause you look pretty young. <laughs> yeah. But, none of this. Yeah. So, and then your, your baby's on your lap, you know, as you're just coding away. Yeah. So juggling, cause you were still doing the full-time job. How, cause I think that's where a lot of the people who are calling in, they're here with us today. They're working a full-time job and they also have a side hustle and maybe some of them don't even think about doing a partnership. So I think this is a, a good foray into that, mm -hmm. but it's also, how did you juggle? Because I think it's, it's really difficult. Now you have a baby on top of that. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the most important thing to start is that, uh, my wife also um, wanted this for us, and um, and by this I mean uh, self-employment. Um, so the the reason I say that is because to do this full-time job plus you know side business that hopefully will be a full-time business one day, I have to work more hours, and that those hours just have to come from somewhere. So you know I had a a, a wife who was also interested in that, and um, recognized that it was going to take some time out of our days and our lives. Uh, it wasn't too long though that I realized that um, if I didn't spend much time with um, my wife and, and daughter, even though my daughter wasn't fully cognizant of this at such a young age, uh, that it was just not a good family life in general. So uh, because what I would do is I'd go to my kind of nine to five ish job and then I'd get off work. Uh, we'd probably eat some dinner and then I'd get back to work. Um, on the side business and into the evening hours and while I'm working it would become like bedtime and then my wife would go to bed or something like that and I I just there was a lot being taken away from family so what I ended, what I ended up doing was um, working full-time at my day job going home and then just being with my family and then we would all go to bed at the same time well I guess not when my daughter was very young but my wife and I would go to bed together and I would wake up at three the next day. And so between the hours of like three and um, depending on the day, seven, seven thirty, uh, I would just be working on the side stuff and then I would go to work. Um, I don't remember how I, how I managed to get phone calls in. I think most of those would have been on lunch breaks or something, but I didn't have a lot of phone calls because I was just mostly building websites. And if there were phone calls to field, Bill would be able to do that because he, he had quit his job before I did. So, um, we had to figure out how to make it work for our family. Uh, but the reason it worked is because both my wife and I uh, were bought in on it. Well, that's something you had told me when we did our test talk um, that, um, you know, that's something Fo Focus Lab really believes in is that you don't live to work, you work to live, right? Exactly. So that's like a, a one of the company philosophies. Yeah, absolutely. And we wanted to, um, we, we didn't come up with that until uh, maybe three years ago. Um, and it was one of those things where it was mo more of an observation that we were already trying to operate that way. So we might as well put it on paper and, and intentionally make it across kind of the company a, a known thing. Um, and going backwards, I started to recognize how long ago that actually became something that I valued and that my wife valued. All right. So 
being uncomfortable, so you kind of started off uncomfortable. You you definitely had buy-in from your wife, which is another part of your team. Um, so can you describe other times when the business was in a growth period that y'all also had to be uncomfortable in order to grow? Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to choose one. Um, you there, can do more than uh, one. I'm in one right now. Uh, so I'll tell you that we, you know, when we started things off, uh, it was just Bill and myself and we would consider Bill a designer, me a developer. And um, I did a, a good bit of writing on a blogging early on. And most of my blogging at the time was just an effort to learn things better because I felt like if I was going to teach it, I'd have to learn it even better and a way to teach others um, the things that I've learned because I, I benefited from free learning, you know, over the years. And so it was mostly that what it accidentally became was, um, content marketing before content marketing had a name. And so explain I, for people who don't know what content marketing is. Can you just give a little brief? Yeah, I, to the, I will to the best of my ability as a non content marketer. Um, basically we were just writing, um, in a way that tells somebody who's looking at our website, that we know what we're doing and here's how to do it. Um, so it's kind of two purposes, um, two or two benefits, even if it only had one purpose like it did for us. Um, the benefit, the primary benefits are uh, you get to present yourself as a, a, an expert or, or a knowledgeable person on a topic, and then you also get to um, share that with uh, a community. And the community is really big for us. Uh, we've learned so much from our community and we try to share a lot with our community. Um, so my trying to just share things that I learned also ended up reinforcing to potential customers that we know what we're doing. And we didn't really, we weren't smart enough to do that on purpose. Um, but we eventually noticed the trend that people kept talking about stuff we wrote or stuff we shared freely, uh, maybe code that we wrote that we said, Hey, here's some code. If you guys want to save some time and use this code instead of writing it from scratch. Mm -hmm. um, and so we saw the pattern in that and started to do that very intentionally. Well, what that led to was getting a lot more development leads than design leads. So we actually had a, a pretty strong kind of development presence or um, that was uh, a decent piece of kind of our brand, if you will. Um, but eventually as we grew, uh, Bill and I realized that we, we needed somebody kind of um, doing not production work, maybe somebody who does more sales conversations, uh, reconciles our billing or bills of invoices and stuff like that. So what we actually decided to do was uh, for me to start doing some of that stuff and step a little back from development. Um, and so um, come full circle to fast forward a few years to here, um, we're actually building back up our development kind of uh, arm or section of focus lab. And to build that up, it's kind of like a chicken and egg thing because I can't just go and hire a developer and not have the, 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 the new client work to pay them to have them doing, but I can't necessarily take on new client work if I don't have the developer or developers to perform the work. So the uncomfort, the discomfort that um, has happening right now is that I'm actually doing um, a good amount of coding, right, which, which I haven't been doing in a little while, um, but it's in an effort to grow. To, to justify the hiring of a new team member. And um, it's definitely something that is not comfortable, but it was intentional and we knew what it would feel like. Um, so that there's at least that. 
Um, but it's just kind of like a, a, a stage of growth where we need to stretch ourselves a little bit before we can actually settle into it. And it's just like any kind of workout you might do. you got to break down the muscle to let it build back up stronger. Um, and so that's kind of a, a real-time discomfort that we're experiencing. And um, I'm not the only one experiencing it. And, you know, that affects other people and team uh, as well in different ways. So I know I kind of got ahead of myself in the questions, but I'm just going to keep going in the same sure. way. So Bill seems very different from you, not from what you've said today, but from what I've read and what I've talked to you about before. Yeah. So do you think this characteristic is one of the things that's been part of your success and that you have benefited from because you guys are both different? Um, and do you think it's maybe led to more business because you weren't so like just the same? Um, or so would you recommend me having a partner that was more different from me? And if so, what way do you think that your differences, you and Bill has really helped your growth? Yeah, that's, um, that's a great question. I think that, uh, I've heard that uh, at multiple conferences in a variety of forms. Um, I'll start by saying I have no experience to talk about except my own, which is limited. So I can kind of tell you what I assume. Um, but I, I'll be the first to tell you that that doesn't mean it works for everybody. Um, right. Bill and I are very different um, in a lot of different ways uh, from a personality perspective, uh, the way that we communicate, um, our presence in general is very different. Um, the way that we solve problems is pretty different. And um, one of the, at its core, a question that we get a lot is how or why does your partnership work the way it does? Because uh, honestly, a lot of partnerships don't, go as well as Bill and uh, mine have, mine have gone. So um, I think it, at its foundation, the reason that it works, the reason that Bill and I's partnership works is that we have um, the most important things that you would want to be aligned, we have those things aligned from a, from a personal values perspective. And so an easy example would be if either Bill or myself were more interested than we are in making profit and filling up our personal assets or bank accounts or something like that, uh, our partnership wouldn't work the way it does. Um, that's an easy one to go to, to use because it's a very tangible example, uh, money. And he and I have a very, very, very similar philosophy of reinvesting in the company and um, making our team a priority over us in a lot of different ways. And so uh, if we didn't have that in aligned, then it would made it would have made that a lot harder when we're trying to hire people or give bonuses or change salaries or you know benefit discussions or even time how you spend your time yeah. hey man why aren't you working on this because we need to yeah. grow yeah so so I think a, a lot of why we work is that we are the foundationally we just have uh, the same values and principles. Um, now, we differ tremendously in the things I mentioned earlier, um, and the best example is day one at Applebee's when he said, do you want to be business partners? And I'm like, that's, I didn't see that coming. That's not my style. Um, and uh, really, I think that your point is that um, having that difference can lead to a better end result for a thing, whether it's a, a business or a project or something like that. And in that, we we complement each other really well I think and that has led to um, some really good things um, it seems like you also have both probably are pretty humble if you could look at his work and say hey yeah man you're better at design 
And then he can look at your coding and be like, hey man, you're better at this than I am. So you both had to be humble. So you're similar in many ways too, but yeah. it was just those specific things that you needed to be aligned in. I think it wouldn't have probably worked if you were always feeding his ego or he was always feeding your ego. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, to your question of if you would need somebody, if somebody's in, in the, the shoes of being solo and wondering about growing and scaling a business and asking themselves, do they need a partner that is different to make that possible? Um, that's, that's a really hard question to answer in a broad sense, but I will say that um, having a business partner who actually owns part of the same business, the same entity, is not the only way to have somebody different from you as a part of the business. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I would say that you will need somebody around you who is strong where you are weak. Mm -hmm. And um, whether or not that person is a business partner or uh, an employee who's got maybe certain perks that other employees don't have or just an employee in general or just a you know freelancer for a little while, um, having somebody who is, has strengths where you have weaknesses is gonna be a, a huge asset for sure. All right. So, do you think you would be where you would be where you are today, having quit your job or doing, if you didn't have Bill kind of on that same page with you as your partner? Um, do like I think you, I, I like would, in three years from yeah. when y'all met? Do you think you would have if he wasn't if y'all weren't partners and you were just friends and you were just doing whatever? Do you think you would be? Where do you think you would have quit your job at that point? Because I think part of what it is, it is that commitment. Somebody else has the stakes in the game. And, yeah. and it's this constant kind of um, accountability to some extent that you're like, hey, we're working to something together. Right. Then just having an employee who's looking for you to fill their, you know, their bank account every month so that they can yeah. keep playing and living and doing and working, right? Yep. Uh, so I, I do not think that Focus Lab would be where it is or that I would be doing the same exact thing I'm doing if it weren't for my partnership with Bill. Um, it's hard to pinpoint that and it's always hard to, like, I wonder if, you know, the world was different, what would it be like? That's hard to, hard to say, but I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that it would, it would be different. It would, wouldn't be the same. Um, Focus Lab, in a lot of ways, uh, has grown in size and in brand awareness thanks to a lot of the hard work that Bill put in that I would have not had the means to do uh, in, any, in any stretch of the imagination. Right. Okay. So um, did y'all ever go out and get external funding? Uh, no, we've, we, we never did. Uh, we haven't ever really wanted or needed to. Um, yeah. Basically it's just been a, we'll make money and we'll pay our bills and we'll put our jobs when the money can pay the bills. Um, and that's just been our mentality. That's great. Okay. So, cause I think sometimes people think that they have to have the external funding to be able to start. Sometimes I love, I mean, I think we're so lucky in our industry because we have all these tools either in our head or yeah. um, some, we have a computer that has the ability. If we have the time and the ability that we can put into it and we can make websites and we can do these yeah. things that other people can't, can't do so i think we yeah. can start lots of businesses or help lots of businesses so yeah i think that from a startup cost perspective we're in the perfect place to be able to not need funding right exactly all right so how many years um 
from when y'all started working together, did you hire your first contractor? Or so, so if sure. it was at that development stage where you were um, needing another developer so that you could go and do more sales, what time frame yeah. was that? Yeah, so it wasn't quite that specific time frame. So we worked, we started um, in April of 2007, uh, 2010, sorry, um, is when we had quit our jobs in May, I think it was May 2nd or May 3rd was day one of us working uh, in our co-working space. Um, we went about 15 months, if I remember correctly, um, until we had anybody helping. And we had um, a part-time designer who was local and a part-time developer who was remote uh, join us at a um, kind of contractor capacity uh, 15 months later just because we needed help on the production side of things. We didn't, we had not ventured into me handling sales and other things only yet. Right. We were doing it right with Bill and I sharing some of that. So who was your first, it doesn't even have to say a person's name, but like who was sure. the first employee? Like what did they do? Yeah. So we went, um, so it was 15 months until we had those two contractors. It was maybe another nine. I, I, I think I might be getting this right. It's, because there's just a lot in seven years, um, maybe nine or so months. And then we had um, a third person join. Um, and throughout that next year and maybe another year, um, everybody who was working with us was a contractor. Um, and this is not, I don't recommend this now because I've learned about it. Um, but we, we got to a point where we had a, a number of people working for us as contractors and we're like, wait, we should, we should be making these people at this point, we should be making them employees. And in my mind, having an employee instead of a contractor was like this big thing that yes. we were having to commit to. It was, it was just that I didn't know how it worked. It, I don't know anything about business. I, I don't I'm clueless. I know how contractors work now, so I'll just do that. Uh, but we got to the point where we realized, oh, wait, it's actually not that hard. Okay, so we will take all of our current contractors who pretty much work full-time hours and in January we're going to make them employees. So our first employee was a group of people who had been here for a while. Uh, so um, like how I many people did you offer in that January full-time? Because then that gives them stability yeah. in their, did you ask them to not do other freelance or were they already not doing freelance because you were working them too much or you had the work life balance thing better it's well, was always part of it we actually still don't tell people not to do freelancing okay. so we didn't then we don't now we don't plan to um we we plan to leave those decisions up to the person uh as an individual um which is another topic that i don't want to i won't get on a rabbit trail going down that uh, but um um i i don't remember how we communicated that um I just, I just don't remember for some reason. So do you think it was like six people, eight people, three people? Yeah, um, it was probably five or six at the time. So then did you guys become employees also? And then you get different kind of, because I, that's, then you get a paycheck that's set, right? Uh, yeah, so we actually, that's right. Bill and I, because of the transition or the change that we made, um, we became, um, well, we technically were already employees. Uh, of the company based on our entity type. Um, but yeah, we became employees uh, in, a, in the same sense of how we ran payroll. Yeah. So then was this something, because this takes some research, because I've looked into it. 
having two people do the research makes it a little quicker. Was this something both of you did or was this like, hey, Bill, you're going to do this and yeah. I'm going to do this part? Yeah. So this is where Bill and I's personalities show. He is like, can you do that? <laughs> and I was like, let me do that. Because so. I... Because some there's all kinds of things, payroll, and you can do have yeah. an outside entity doing that, take taxes, things like that. Because there's there yeah. are some things, but you're saying it wasn't as scary as you thought. Yes, it was not correct. It was not as scary as we thought it would be. Uh, and basically, all I needed to do was just talk to somebody who knew what they were doing and let them teach me how to do it. Um, so I just talked to our the guy who did our taxes at the end of each year, talked to him a little bit, and then went and talked to our uh, bank account. I went, went and talked to somebody at our bank and said, Hey, I, I need to be able to run payroll. Is, is that something that you guys offer inside of your kind of online tools? And it was. And so we just were able to start doing that. Um, look, knowing what I know now, I would have tweaked some things and how I did them. Uh, but it worked fine. We, we basically could have done it sooner. All right. So you had enough people you were, and I think so there was safety in hiring contractors because it, then they're on a contract basis. If something doesn't work out, and I know a lot of people in our industry do that because one, it is a lot like a marriage when you hire somebody. It's not like they're just going to come and sit at their desk and they're going to plug some numbers. They have to work with other people. You have to have personality. You have to get along. Um, in the creative industry, it's very, I've said this before, it's very incestuous and not in a bad way, it can be really good. I used to, when I was younger, I thought that it was bad. Oh, everybody just knows. But really what I realized is that people, it's a trust factor. I'm going to be sharing. I'm going to be putting yeah. my ideas out there. I want to make sure nobody's going to be just a, a bull in a china shop and just run me over or run other people over or not talk. You know, you have to be able to right. share. And so you have to know what the environment is right. So you have these contractors. It's a safety for a company, right? To be able to do that. If you were going back, how long would you have, would you have done that? Because I still think you probably would have done that to, to some extent, right? Yeah. I mean, in, if I had, a, if I was like doing a second business, then I would probably not bother with doing contracts work for most positions early on. Um, but looking back on this business, it's not like a regret that I have or something I wish I could change. Uh, we still did, did it fine. Um, uh, we had a little bit of a kind of risk or exposure on the IRS liability tax front. Um, but all in all, um, don't regret really any of that and wouldn't try to go back and change it necessarily. I would just do it differently if I had a second go at it, just right. knowing what I know. Okay. Um, and if I was talking to somebody who was trying to grow a business, I would slow down with them and say, hey, here's what I did. Here's how you could do it now that I'm able to tell you what I wish somebody could have told me. Right. Um, so, but I would, you know, I don't, I don't uh, lose sleep over how we did it. No, but, uh, but I think it's good that you have, um, you have that knowledge and you could express to somebody else what right. decisions you made and maybe what you would have done differently or done quicker. Um, sure. So have you ever, how many employees do you have right now? Um, if you include Bill and myself, since we are technically employees, yep. um, we actually have 20 as of this week. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So did somebody start this week, I guess? Yeah. Somebody oh, started terrific. on Monday. That's good. It's better than the other way around. Um, That's true. <laughs> we had 21 last Friday. Now we have 20. <laughs> um, 
All right. So have you ever gotten so big? Because sometimes in our industry as well, there people get a big contract, so they pull people in, and then the contract goes away. It's a three-year contract, and then they have to lay off a bunch of people. So it can be a different philosophy. You kind of, if you're, I think if you're letting people know up front, then you understand. But I think sometimes it's not as clear for some employees or especially new early, you know, people coming up. So has it ever, is this as 20 as big as it's gotten or have, and have you ever had to scale back? And if so, if you don't mind sharing that, because I think that's also a big fear for me. It's like, well, I can't, I don't have enough work for you. This would be the worst thing. And this is, I think, why I haven't hired somebody right. because I, I don't want to be in that position because I think they're depending on me to pay their bills and I really want to be able to provide that. So yep. have you yeah. been able to? We, so, so 20 is the biggest that we've done. Um, we, um, we have had to, uh, I'll say scale back. That's the very um, friendly way to say it. So I... And I, I don't I don't mean that you need to change the way you say it, but I, I one of the things that I try to do here is to make sure that we humanize mm -hmm. everything we can. Um, so, little small tangent, um, the phrase human resources drives me nuts. Uh, and when you're talking about like uh, a number of people on a project and calling those people resources, that drives me nuts. <laughs> um, so um, with with me, what I'll say is we've yes we've had to lay people off. We've had to lay people off because we couldn't pay them. And it is um, one of the hardest experiences that I've gone through as a, as a person. Um, we, were, uh, we were about 15, I think, 15 or 16 people three years ago, two or three years ago, and um, basically got to a point where we did not have uh, enough new business coming in to sustain our payroll, to pay people uh, on time and we recognize that um, later than we than we would be able to today because we've changed how we monitor that kind of stuff um, but uh, it was essentially we were relying on client work to pay every penny we owed to anybody um, and we didn't have any debt but we had uh, payrolls the biggest thing for nearly any agency out there any kind of creative team uh, payrolls the big expense and um, we made some bad decisions earlier in the year that slowly built up over time. And then eventually it was like, Oh my gosh, like this is happening right now. I don't, I don't have any, I can't see it three months coming. I can see it in three weeks. Like we can't, we're not going to be able to pay everybody. Um, so uh, it, it did have to do with the amount of leads or the amount of sales we had coming in. And um, we, we, learned a lot from it. We learned, we learned a lot and we've actually changed, we've changed some things as well. Um, that being said, we also, even at the time, we try not to hire people just because we get an influx in, in new business opportunities. Right. Um, we, that there's just a tremendous amount of risk in that. And we're kind of in this for the long game. We don't really want to hire a bunch of people and scale up as a lot of people will say. Um, because we have new business and then scale down when we don't because that's just hiring people and then having to lay them off because right. because I had a couple of big projects come through the door and I didn't have the means to sustain that. So um, we don't, we try not to let any new business opportunities dictate or direct our job uh, openings or availabilities. Um, sometimes 
the timing makes it so that they really do coincide with our strategy of growing. Um, but we try to grow um, pseudo independent of when new sales are kind of coming in the door or big sales, if you will. Right. Um, but, you know, the fear that is involved in offering somebody a job um, is very real. You know, when we, when we offered our first contractors part-time contract work after 13 months or whatever it was, 15 months of doing stuff, um, we were like, is, oh, man, what if we don't have this work in four weeks or six weeks or four months? And that was just contract part-time work. But that's where our mind was. We're like, what if? Can we keep this going? And um, the, the, the reality is that to some degree, that what-if question still exists with every person we offer a job to today mm-hmm. at 20 people. Right. Um, so the, the degree to which we focus on that is a lot smaller. And at this point, I don't call it a fear. It's much more of a, of an awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something that we let cripple us in decision-making because if we did, we'd never offer anybody a job. Right. And you wouldn't have grown cause you, yeah. you can't, you and Bill can't do everything that y'all have done. Right. So, um, did you have to start pricing your work differently to be able to think about um, that growth part? Because if you're planning on growing, you have to have your work have enough money to more than just paying the bills at Bill's house and at your house. Absolutely. When we started, um, we were, we were pricing our own freelancing work hourly at a really similar way. Um, and so we, and it was dirt cheap uh, compared to what it is today. I mean, we were charging like, I think our first joint rate after Bill and I decided we're going to start charging clients as one entity, if you will, was like $35 an hour. And way low compared to other we, at, people, at, even at, 10 years ago. At the time, we didn't really know much about taxes. <laughs> so we were, we basically recognized that uh, we need to pay our bills and $35 an hour could pay the bills just, just enough. Um, but we, we realized like, we realized that was going to get us nowhere. So we, we went from 35 to 55 after a few months. And then a while later we went from 55 to 75 an hour and we charged the same hourly rate for everything we did. And then um, I was basically ready to really try and grow this thing and realize like, you know, we're, we're not charging what I would consider really a professional rate if right. we're going to be doing this hourly thing. Um, I think we need to double it. I think we need to charge 150 an hour. And Bill was like, what? <laughs> um, so uh, thankfully it, it's really easy to test and test ideas with that stuff because uh, if you have all of your clients at one rate and then you get a new client come in the door, especially one who doesn't know your other clients, you can just experiment. And so basically what we did was with new clients, we would say 150 an hour with old clients. We kept them at the 75 for a good while, very respectable period of time, not just to show them a new doubled rate and say next month you're going to pay more. Um, And over time we recognized like, wow, this is, this is really working. We could technically lose half our clients and still make the same amount of money because we were doubling our rate. And so um, eventually Bill was like, all right, this is right. This is true. We should do this. So we bumped up to the 150 uh, per hour. And um, that's really when things started to enable us to grow more and say, oh, we can actually afford not just like a, a, a college student who is just trying to pay rent right. and whatnot. We can actually afford somebody who's in a career. Right. Um, 
and and that was that was a, a good turning point for us. So you're duplicating your skills instead of just having to train because there's a lot of training yeah. that goes into having a new employee. I mean, yeah. there's some benefits of that as well because you can train them to do what you want. Um, Doc says, yeah. did you keep the previous clients at a retainer rate or did everyone take a hit, the hit and leave? Uh, it was case by case basis and we didn't have a ton of clients. So it was easy to keep track of this case by case basis. And um, we had, um, I think most of our clients, we gave them like six months heads up and lost some of them and kept a few of them at the, at the more expensive rate. And then eventually we lost pretty much all of them. Um, but that was as our company kind of evolved in what we offered right. and the types of things that we did. And um, they, they would have just found a better, a better design partner uh, somewhere else. Uh, but when we changed the rates, um, it was, we tried to do it as case by case as we could and with as much respect to the client uh, as possible. So then did you ever change from a hourly rate or a per person hourly rate to a project rate? Yeah, that's another one of those topics that we could spend hours on. Um, yeah, we, we try not to price anything from an hourly perspective anymore. Um, looking backwards, uh, it, it was not, it didn't slow us down. It didn't hurt us. Um, but I recognize the, the pros and cons of hourly versus kind of fixed price billing or, or pricing. So um, we, we didn't have retainers. Um, we didn't have everybody at an hourly rate. Uh, we try to have fixed price stuff these days. And most of the time we do. Uh, the general reason is it's about who's taking what risks in the relationship. And we feel like in a lot of good relationships between us and the customer that we should be the ones taking um, most of the risk off of their plate that they're paying to take the risk off, which is the risk of them doing the work in house or them hiring a different company instead of us. And um, when you charge hourly, um, your client is taking a big risk in that you have estimated it correctly. And so uh, we like to take that risk off their plate, have fewer surprises. And if we were wrong about how long it's going to take us, we're the ones who's going to take, who, who will take that hit and the client doesn't have like a crappy, you know, client experience because of it. And I think that that's something when you're working with anybody, it's really, if they're a contractor or not, this is what I've found. If I thought it would take somebody 30 minutes and it actually took them three hours, then we had a communication breakdown and I have to eat yeah. that, not my client because, and I yeah. understand like what this has happened to me and it was, it was poor communication on my part. I should have said up front, Hey, I need this to take 30 minutes to an hour. This is a fast turn. This is not a three-hour do tons of sketches and concepting. I just need this blank thing, you know? Yeah. And I think it's a communication thing, but I also think I'm super, super glad that happened to me, and I just had um, a little bit of issue instead of having to eat something that was like a ton. Because I do think yeah. I agree with you about the project. So Jeremy has a question. He says, is the plan to increase your rates annually, even dealing with specific clients' budgets? What would you say to that? Uh, my plan is to become more profitable annually. Um, whether or not that means my rates need to increase um, is a detail, but not the driving force. So um, for us, um, that has to do more so with the, the type of client opportunities that we get and not so much how much I might price something per hour. Because in reality, um, we try to, we try to, 
price things based on the value that we're able to bring to a customer. And we can do um, a, a set of, of work for a local small mom-and-pop business and do the same set of work for Adobe, but Adobe, because they have a much larger scale and base of users, they get a lot more value out of that. Even if it's a smaller amount of work, theirs is times, you know, a thousand what it, the value, you know, a, a much higher than it would be for a small you know, local business across the street. So um, we try to price based on the value we can bring to the customer. And um, whether or not our, we don't really consider us as having a rate. Um, we, we try to have individual conversations with each customer because we feel that their context is what matters. And um, as long as we can perform the work in a profitable mm -hmm. manner, meaning we got more money left over than it costs us to do the work, then um, that's kind of more of the focal point for us. So we look at the last year, the last quarter, how profitable were we? Well, let's try and be a little more profitable this, this year, this, this uh, quarter uh, on our project. And it's also, to me, it seems like you would really have to hone in on who's working for you and where where their strengths are. Because if something's taking Joe, I don't know if you have a Joe, I hope you don't have a Joe. No. Joe, okay. just taking Joe a lot longer, you may have to go to Joe and say, hey, maybe this isn't, this isn't what you need to be doing. You're really good at branding. Let's just keep you on branding instead of doing the web stuff or whatever, packaging. Um, you know, it's really kind of being in tune with your team to seeing if their skill sets. Now, some people might have a new interest and then they might be learning something on their own or while right. they're working, but they have that drive. So it gets them to that next place. And I, I feel like you really, it has to be communication constantly with your team, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, so, uh, like when Alicia starts doing these paper things, right? Yeah. Like this is amazing. She's an amazing photographer. She starts out as a designer. I mean, I love Alicia. But so then she's doing this and then how can how is she able to make this as part of Focus Lab something that Fo Focus Lab can use? So it's also kind of understanding where people's interests and know that people change, right? People yeah. grow. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that um, kind of needs to be present for that to be um, to, uh, to give opportunity for that to become a thing is um, space to play or to experiment. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that's really important is people's interest in something that they're doing. And it was really evident that Alicia was really interested in that stuff. And just in the first few pieces that she did, it was it was obvious that that was a, a a potential core strength of stuff that she could really be doing. So she just said, "Hey, can can I do more of this?" And Bill, I, it was just we were both just like, "Yeah, uh, yes, please." And she's killing it. Like that stuff is amazing. Um, but it's it's something that um, was it would only be possible if there was some space. If you know, uh, a, a somebody who's got an interest of like that has the opportunity to play. In, in that and Alicia doesn't just do that here either like she was she, she was honing a lot of that um, at home too and doing it not just for it wasn't for focus labs benefit it was it was a creative itch that she had and um, it happens to end up being a part of stuff that she brings to the table at focus lab um, and that's actually happened in other scenarios as well even with myself like I'll just kind of play with some ideas uh, in my in my own time you know maybe on a weekend or in the evening 
and in, it ends up maybe becoming part of what we're able to do as a, as a, as a team. So Jeremy has another question. Do you use project yeah. management or task management tool to keep up with the hours worked or maybe even a traffic manager to keep up how long certain projects take? You know, I was thinking the same thing, Jeremy, because clearly yeah. Eric, you have a really good way of from the beginning, either understanding what your new employees, your designers, your developers, everybody who's working, what they're, how long something's going to take them or you, I mean, and, and that's just them being honest and not just trying to be pleasers, you know? So yeah. either, or are you tracking something? What have you done? Or is this just a God given gift that you have? That you're totally, able to do? totally not the latter. <laughs> um, so I don't even have the gift of knowing how long it'll take me to do something. A lot of things. Um, I can't, I can't take, Hardly any credit for this stuff, um, but we we do use some tools that help us do those things. Um, but really, it's it's less about the tools and more about the people who can observe these things and then use a tool to put it in a database somewhere. Um, so yeah, we of hours worked um, in Harvest uh, just from a time tracking perspective, not because we bill by the hour, but just because we need to know how long something took in hindsight to say if we had to do it again. Would it take the same amount of time or would it take uh, were we way off in what we thought it would take um, and things like that. Um, we use uh, another tool from the harvest team called forecast, which lets us block out time for each team member in the future uh, for a given project. And so we're estimating how long we think we need for a project at the front end. And at the end, we look in reverse and say, how correct were we? And we, we adjust for that for future projects. So um, it was, we were wrong often early on. And uh, we were right occasionally early on, and we just kind of continued, we are continuing, a continual process, to hone that, that guesstimate or estimate, depending on what kind of project it is. Um, but yeah, we, we do try to do that. Um, and that has a big, that plays a big role in us knowing how much revenue we think we're going to be making in the f future months and how much we need to be filling in from a sales perspective. Because uh, if we don't keep an eye on when projects end, we'll lose sight of when we need to start bringing in new projects. And that can be a really big problem um, from a sales perspective, from an income perspective. Um, and I think a lot of freelancers run into that. If you're really busy, you forget yeah. that part of your week has to be marketing or finding yeah. or doing some other, because at some point you will have, you will be caught up and then you will have nothing. If you've done no self-promotion or no, the content right. marketing for you, the blogging was something you had yeah. to plan in. And then it ended up, but if you just let it go completely. So PJ has another question. I always like to get through their questions and I already asked him if he'd come back on. So hopefully it hasn't been too terrible and you'll come back on, but because we only have five minutes left. So PJ asked, after you raised your current rates, did the win loss ratio of new projects drop drastically? Um, I mean, you didn't need as many question. new projects. That's right. a great, yeah, that's right. Um, honestly, I don't remember. What we kept an eye on was less the new the win loss ratio and more on the are we growing? Are we making more money in general? Um, I can't remember though if it did. My instinct is to say that clearly it did. Um, but we would um, the way that we handle incoming conversations is we try our best to respectfully qualify people before we spend a lot of time having right. long conversations with them. So. In some of our, when we were doing hourly billing, um, a lot of our early emails would say, um, hey, tell us about your project. We're, we're so grateful you reached out to us. Um, you probably have some pretty common questions for us, so just so you have a heads up, 
uh, the next time we could start a project with this. So that lets them know if, if we can't meet their deadline. Um, our, our hourly rate is this. That lets them know if they're worried about this. Our average project probably costs about, you know, small number to big number in range. Um, uh, here's my availability. When do you want to hop on a call and start talking about what's up? And that helps qualify people. So the reason I'm having a hard time remembering is that we tried to qualify people or pre-qualify them or really disqualify them early in the conversation to where that almost means it wouldn't show up in my mind from a win-loss ratio perspective because we never right. tried to win it. We just said the same thing. Would you send them to someone else? Would you recommend them to someone who would fit better? Uh, I did early on. Um, I learned that that was not a really – it wasn't something I was comfortable doing because I, I ended up sending some crazy people to some good friends. And I was like, you know what? I probably shouldn't just send everybody to people. Um, so we got to the point where if I actually spoke with somebody and got to know them a little bit as a potential customer, I could say, you know what? We can't do this work, but my friend down, you know, down the country or where down the street, whatever it was, um, you might want to talk to them. I'll introduce you. Okay. Wait, I think we have one more question. So Brian says, what's your most successful marketing tactic or focus in 2017 to bring in new clients that match your company? I guess what your company provides and what, or what you want to provide, because we are always growing. Great question, Brian. Yeah, that, that is a great question. Um, one thing that we've actually done that is kind of like a quiet marketing um, is we, we've recognized that we just in the past have done a pretty poor job of continuing and nurturing relationships with past customers mm. with the intent of them either coming back to us for either new services we offer or new projects that they come up with or them telling their friends about us. And so one of the things that we've had an increase in this year is uh, repeat business and referral business because we've just paid more attention to it. We've just done that more intentionally. And it's one of those things where I kind of just kick myself looking back, realizing, I mean, in general, we had a, we had a lot of leads coming in for a good while, and it just it was hard to keep up with them. And I, I am grateful for that busyness, if you will. Um, but I never noticed, because we were always talking to new people, that we just said goodbye to clients and just didn't reach out to them again. And I'm like, oh, that was me. That. That was totally so, me. I'm right there. Yeah. So, um, uh, so to that question, if you're a reader, which I hope you are, uh, if you want to grow or scale a business, you're going to need to be a reader. Um, you should check out the book, uh, Revenue Growth Habit, which is a really practical book that just gives you good um, ideas around being able to grow your revenue in um, um, consistent small pockets of time uh, each week, each day. Um, and, some of what we've done has kind of come from that or been inspired by that. It, so it's, <laughs> I just want to make sure, because I don't hear super well. I think I need hearing aids. Revenue, growth, not gross, habit, right? right? Correct. Okay. I'll put a link in the, um, uh, in the show notes as well, because um, I can't spell this that quickly. I, I should be no, able to spell great. revenue and talk, but I can't. Um, <laughs> So we're really, we have a minute left. So I want people, we definitely didn't finish. Um, I would definitely like to have you back on. I am, just so you guys know, I'm planning on two series next year. Um, one is about struggle and then the people who have struggled. Um, one guy's going to be on, he has beat cancer. And I think that's a struggle, but then some people have other struggles that are, could have been financial, could have been something else. So um, we're, we're going to have that as one. And I, 
then the other one is going to be about this growth because I feel like all of us would like to be at a place where we can hopefully grow. And I would love to be able to provide somebody else and, and have this really cool creative place that somebody else, at least one other person can come and we can really share. Cause I do think people are better together. So, um, we, I would, uh, I'm, I'm asking you back officially, but I will send you an email as well, but I'd love to finish oh. this and talk more about that because I really do think getting the right seats and there's a, a book and I can't remember what it is called, but great? he talks about, um, getting the right people on the bus. And I think that is something clearly y'all have done really well. Um, and I can't remember Yeah, Good to great. Yes. Did you say that too already? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's Jim Collins. That's actually, that's something that influenced us a bit. Well, I, I loved that book and I really thought about it. So as a teacher, I always was like, Oh, I've got to motivate my students and I would show them these videos. And I do think that helps to some extent, but if they're not on board, an employee, a student, whatever, if they're not on board, if they don't want to play, they're not going to play. They're just yeah. going to give it half. They're going to give it the minimum. They're going to do the four laps that they have to do, and then that's it. They're checked out. I did my four laps. They're not going to do extra. And I feel like anybody who shows up here is going extra laps because we're doing this stuff on a side, and we're and but really, it's about forming these connections with these other people who are doing this yeah. stuff and are are really doing more than the minimum. And I feel like I'm so thankful for the people who listen and for the people who come. So I just want to thank you guys. You really do make a difference. To me, but it's really it's really great, Eric, just to know that you were able to get the right people on the bus and that you have been able to be successful and that money's not coming out of your pockets, you know, left and right maybe, but but that you're growing at a rate that you can employ 20 people and yeah. that you are um, able to provide for them. And one of the things, so Eric was supposed to be on two weeks ago, but he had to cancel because, I don't know. Irma was coming to town and Irma's a hurricane. If you don't realize we both live on the coast, I'm in the Gulf and he's in the Atlantic. So not in the Atlantic on the Atlantic. <laughs> and so Irma was coming and came up, uh, but kind of missed you guys actually. Thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she hit some other people for sure. So there's, you know, it's just, um, being able to be flexible, I think is really important. Um, I will definitely talk about pricing in that scale, uh, as we talk about scaling the business in that section, it is, I think, I don't remember what Ashley does all my scheduling and she's just the whiz. So she figures out when it's going to be, but it's going to be a four week thing. So I would love to have you back on for that, but I want people to know, I know we don't, didn't show any work, but you can find focus lab and Eric on Instagram at focus lab LLC. And I'm going to put that in the chat and it'll also be in the show notes and the good to great book and the revenue growth habit will be there. And then you can also check them out at focuslab.focuslabllc.com, uh, not focuslab.com. Don't go there. Yeah. I mean, not that and that's it's a fun story one day for one day. <laughs> we basically missed that domain purchase by a week. Oh, you're kidding. Nope. That stinks, but it just yeah. happens, you know, it, um, oh, well, it's just the internet. It, Yeah. Um, oh, so oh, awesome. thanks, Doc. That is that is awesome. Anyway, so we'll just continue this because I know we only got to um, six point five because I had <laughs> to have some point fives in here. But Eric, thank you so much. And is there any other um, 
way for people to contact you or to get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, so all the social media stuff for Focus Lab is the same as the Instagram handle, Focus Lab LLC. Um, and then for me, it's just my name, Eric Regan, E-R-I-K, and then Regan. But spelled like Reagan. Um, and, uh, yeah, my, my email, uh, if anybody ever wants to hit me up with questions, um, one of my favorite things to talk about is this kind of stuff. So it's just eric at focuslabllc.com. And as long as you spell it right, I'll get it. <laughs> okay, well, I will make sure all those things will be in the, um, in the chat. But thank you so much. And, again, just so you guys know, you can always – what helped me out the most, just to give us a rating, give us, me and the mouse in my pocket – uh, me and Ashley, I guess, give us a rating on iTunes and share it with your friends and know that next week we have David P. O'Hara and I had to convince David to come on. I think David is amazing, but he was like, I'm not there yet. And I've had two people that I've had to do this with um, that I really felt like they, from what I had talked with them and what they were um, doing I feel like everybody thinks that I got to be somewhere. I got to be at this place before I'm interview worthy. And I really, I think that that's a mistake because they're taking, they're missing an Absolutely. opportunity to be encouraged and to also share that, Hey, I might not be there, but I'm learning and I'm okay with letting you know I'm not there yet. Because if, if it wasn't okay for us to, if we were all just had to be at this level, nobody would be sharing anything and we definitely wouldn't yeah. be, feeling like a community. So David didn't want to, but I was like, man, this is what people need to hear is that you didn't give up. Um, and so he is a UX UI. He's uh, outside of Seattle and I'm, he went to undergrad in Pensacola. I didn't know him there, but then he moved. So there's a, a transition between um, culture, this is a kind of living, you know, it's different Seattle yeah. to the deep South. And, so I think it'll be really interesting. So I'm excited. And then the other person who I'll just call him out, and I don't know if he listens or not, but Kevin Green, I had asked him two years ago. He had this project. And so he said yes, too. So I, these people are coming. So I'm excited to have them. And it is. It takes it takes something. But somebody, when somebody sees something in you, sometimes you just have to fall into trust and say, yeah. Um, I know Derek Castle did this. He said no to the Miller High Life people. Harley Davidson Miller High Life did those KN series. And he was like, no, I just don't think I can do that. And then they showed up at his door with a six pack of beer and said, hey, man, will we reconsider? And he said, okay, I will. And so it yeah. was scary, but I think that's where we grow because he had never done a contract with somebody. So then he did. And he was worried that it would be all corporate and whatever, and they would try to control, but it wasn't. And so it is about having that really good support staff. I think people, your family, friends that are going to be there for you. So I'm excited to have David on. Go ahead. Can I, can I share one thing? Please. This is maybe just to the benefit of people who are able to listen to this and might have that same feeling of like, I, I'm not there yet. Like why would I, I shouldn't be interviewed or I shouldn't really, why would people listen to me? Um, there's a quote that I absolutely love from Ralph Waldo Emerson that says, in my walks, Every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that I learn from him. Mm -hmm. And like that's uh, everybody who's in this chat right now um, has something that the rest of us can learn from. So, say somebody who's listening or somebody who catches the podcast later um, has an opportunity to be interviewed, or somebody expresses interest, but they don't feel worthy or ready. 
just kind of shove that to the side and just go for it. Well, I think it's kind of like having kids. Did you think you were ready? Uh, no, no, we, no. Ours was actually not planned anyway, so no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think there's such a benefit and such a blessing, right, to have yeah, your kids there. Or, or to have your business or just, I think it's so yeah. great that Bill was like, Hey man, you want to have a business together? I mean, yeah. if he hadn't been so willing to trust and willing to jump in, that conversation might not have happened. It could have just been another, you know, contractor that you work with. And so yeah. I feel, I feel like we have to take these kind of listen to our guts, have faith, um, that we aren't going to be led astray and sometimes we will get burned, but it's just about growth. I don't necessarily think we're yeah. burned. You're not dead. And, um, you know, anyway, so if we wait till we're ready or feel ready, we'll seldom start. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're always improving. I'm always improving. So you guys can reach out to me. You can follow me on Instagram at design recharge, or you can go to rechargingyou.com and check it out. Look at old episodes. Um, you can always email me at Diane at re well, I'm trying to read the chat and then yeah. I'm like, Oh boogers. I can't read doc and do it. Um, but, uh, Diane at rechargingyou.com is the easiest way to get no problem doc. It's no problem. All right. So is that a John Acuff finish reference? It's, it's not, I know the book, but I haven't read it. I am, I am going to work on the boogers t-shirt. It'll be shoot boogers or booger snot or something. I'm working on my S's. I'd like to do them like Bob Ewing, but, and he did your side card logo, right? He like did. I love that S, mm. yeah. but I got to keep working on mine. So anyway, it'll be there. It'll be there for April at creative South for sure. But Eric, thank you again, guys. Check pleasure. out, go back to recharging you and get the show notes. And I will see you guys back here next week with David O'Hara. Let me hit stop.